Welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. I'll be performing improvised horror stories tonight. Every title is a title that I've never seen before. And then I improvise the stories from there. first card I draw will be the name of the arc of tonight's episode, and the second card will be the title of the first story. Alright, this first card is 100% whole wheat goodness. And this story is called Army of Bananas. Chad shook the die as hard as he could, putting all of himself into it, and then he said out loud, come on, give me that nat 20. He threw it down and he got a 1. And that was the, that was the role he needed to end his character. tabletop role-playing game called Army of Bananas. Chad threw down his hat. Oh shit, I fucked it up again. And another one of his friends says, oh, now come on. This game's dictated by rolling a 1 to a 20, and then the results are based off there. Don't blame yourself. And Chad said, yeah, but whenever I need, like, a saving throw, or, or like, a deus, deus ex machina or something, it's always a one every time. And his fr friend Pat said, oh, well, don't worry about it too much, you know. I mean, this game, after all, is called Army of Bananas. I mean, we could have used your resources in our banana alliance fight those other bananas in this banana-dominated Earth. But we could always start another campaign with a different character or even the same character. 
Hell, we could play even a different game if this isn't your bag. Any kind of tabletop game you want. We can totally do that. And then Chad said, well, it's a, it's a good point, Pat. I mean, you do have that collection of all those tabletop games. And Pat said, yes, yes I do. I have a really sick rec room that really exposes all of it. And then Chad said, well, gang, I'm going to get going. And then Pat said, oh, come on, you can stick around just because your uh, version of the game's over. And then Chad's like, no, no, I gotta, I've had a long day. I just kind of want to decompress for the rest of the evening. Pat said, okay, well, you know, we can hang out whenever, you know. Play any kind of game you want. Chad nodded and said, all right, thanks, Pat. So Chad ended up walking home. He didn't live very far. 10 minute drive, 30 minute walk. Just so we could absorb the autumn air and all of that. But Chad was thinking about the game, Army of Bananas. It's in a similar tr tradition to Risk or Stratego. A lot of Napoleon-era wartime maneuvers, but all in the context of bananas. And the gimmick to this game is that the bananas ripen very quickly. So you can only do so many actions in such a short amount of time. And every player gets a specialty character. And Chad's character was also named Chad. Now specialty characters don't ripen like the others. They're the ones that can lead the armies, speed the generals, all that jazz. And Chad really tried to look up to this other banana Chad. You know, he wanted to raise him up as a as an Atticus Finch character, or Jean-Luc Picard, a role model for the kids. You know. And he really wanted to see how uh, Banana Chad's saga unfolded. But unfortunately, he'll never get that chance. Now, Pat's uh, tabletop games always had a surplus of snacks, you know. Had various types of ruffles, uh, bugles, veggie chips, which are mostly made of potato. Since Chad didn't eat a lot of Pat's house, he's starting to feel a little bit snacky. So, uh, on his way to his house, he saw a Kroger store, and he thought, oh, I'll just pop in, you know, maybe get a snack or something. So he was walking around, uh, picking up some sandwich supplies, some, uh, overly processed lunch meat and some cheese that have debatably been on the counter for a bit too long. And he was just like, oh fuck, I, I don't have any bread. I guess I'll get that too. Now, this story takes place among the pandemic, where things like flour and bread 
and toilet paper in the afternoons are still hard to come by. People in masks just didn't quite shake their panic buying habits ever since March came and went. So I went to the supermarket uh, aisle for bread and it's cleared out. And he's just like, oh fuck. And this dude's uh, sweeping in the aisle, not really giving a shit. So Chad says, hey man, uh, what's the bread situation? I haven't been in here in a while. And the employee was just like, yeah, we only, you know, no, we have no idea when bread's coming. It's just kind of comes when it feels like it, you know. I'm sure a lot of bread companies are trying, but, you know, they're really a dire straits. And then Chad was just like, well, fuck. Well, I don't know any bread at all. I mean, I'll, I'm not picky about it, you know. I don't go for, like, Dave's Killer Bread or anything like that. Just even, like, some Wonder Bread would do. And the employee said, well, we have some bread left, but I don't think you want it. And then Chad's just like, no, well, I think that'd be cool, you know. Yeah, I'll take any bread. I just want to make a sandwich, you know. And the employee was just like, ah, oh, but we don't have good rolls, though. And then Chad was like, no, not like on the East Coast. And they were both just like, ah, you know, just a little East Coast East Coast joke about really good sandwiches on the East Coast. But that's a digression. But, uh, so Chad was like, yeah, I'll take any bread, really. And the employee was just like, all right, man. So Chad follows the employee to the bread stock room. The employee takes out a little key and then unlocks the door. And then it's a door to a small safe, kind of. A very tight space. We can fit in very few objects. All inside, like the bread room and the bread area. And then there were a couple of stacks of uh, what seemed like perfectly good wheat bread. Chad was just like, ah, oh, fuck, this is awesome, this is really cool. And the employee said, well, it's not that cool. I mean, I've heard mixed things about this bread. And then Chad said, well, what do you mean? And the employee said, well, every time someone has bought this bread, they've never come back. And then Chad said, never? And Pat said, no. My guess is... My theory is, rumor has it, is that either this bread is so awful that it turns people away from ever coming into the store again, or this bread is cursed, and it prevents them from ever coming back. Whatever that curse is. And Chad's just like, yeah, I heard a lot of fucked up shit about Kroger. Uh, yeah, do you have a guess on what that curse could be? And the employee said, nah, man. I don't eat the food here. And Chad was just like, wow, shit, I guess that's smart, you know. But, uh, you know what? I need a sandwich. Uh, I've been walking for a while. I'm gonna get the bread. And the employee was just like, alright, if you wanna go for it, yeah. Help yourself. So Chad takes a bundle, and that's the end of it. So he goes back to his house, it's late at night, 
everyone he lives with is asleep, so he's just up. He opens the lunch meat, opens the cheese, opens the packet of bread. He gets out a plate, you know, two bread slices. It's a very basic sandwich for someone who speaks of high accolades of sandwich, you know, just a, puts the meat on, puts the cheese on. He pulls some styrofoam lettuce uh, out of his fridge and puts that on as well. And then even squirts some ketchup on it because he's fearing, feeling daring. So he takes a bite. And he's just like, oh my god. The sandwich is kind of shitty. The ketchup didn't help, but this bread's pretty fucking good. So he's, keep, he's munching on it, and uh, eventually he blinks, and he's already finished the sandwich. And he's just like, oh, well, I'll be goddamned. So he feels a very full in his belly, and he's just like, oh, what's it, what's this bread called? He looks at the package, and it says, 100% whole wheat goodness. And he's just like, alright, well, I mean, shit, sounds pretty good. Has good in the title, so I guess you can't go wrong with that kind of marketing, that kind of labeling. So he goes to sleep that night, has a peculiar set of dreams. Usually his dreams come off like soap operas, you know, either with people in his life or people he's never met. At the height of some dramatic moment that he had no context for, but really felt in it because it was, it was a dream. Dreams don't have to make sense for to be invested in them. So eventually the dream turns into a nightmare. And fire and smoke fill the air. He hears a lot of bombs, a lot of cannons going off. Chad's freaking out in his pajamas running around. He sees a charge of an army toward him, and lo and behold, they were all bananas. Not just regular bananas but Bananas he envisioned. And the Army of Bananas campaign. They're firing off, blowing up buildings and infrastructure, setting forests on fire. All the awful things a Napoleon-era colonial army would do. And while Chad was trying to get away, he saw him. Chad the Banana. The character he invented out causing a massacre. And Chad shouts out to Ch Banana Chad, and was just like, Banana Chad! Banana Chad looks around and looks at Human Chad, and then Banana Chad says, oh shit, Chad! And then Chad's just like, yeah, uh, Banana Chad, what are you doing? Banana Chad said, yeah, well, when I'm doing leading the campaign, you know? doing the best that I can do. And then Chad said, well, this is impossible. You died in, in the campaign. And then Banana said, no, you died in the campaign. You see, when you control the campaign, everything's dictated by a result between 1 and 20. But when I do it, I make my own choices. And I make my own destiny. So then Banana Chad continued to 
command his army and the, all the fire cannons and whatnot. Chariots and horses. A very vicious scene. And then Chad shouts, Oh, Banana Chad, you have to stop. You're destroying everything. And Banana Chad, no, I'm saving my country, you know? These bananas would destroy everything. And Chad's just like, well, Banana Chad, you're just in a war. Everything's, everyone's destroying everyone. And Banana Chad said, yeah, but I plan to be the last one standing. And then Chad's trying to stop all the bananas from fighting stuff. And then Banana Chad says, get him. So all the banana soldiers start heading toward Chad. Chad tries, tries to fight him off, but he's in pajamas, so it's not very effective. Eventually, one of the banana soldiers takes a dagger and then stabs Chad with it. But that impact calls Chad to wake up. When he woke up, his house was in a cinder. Debris everywhere. He was on the carpet of his living room. There were ambulances and his housemates surrounding the place. And then Chad looks down and sees a stab wound in his gut in the same place where the banana stabbed. So Chad took a breath and just thought, oh my god, that dream, it was real. I'm into the idea of a uh, 100% whole wheat bread inducing Freddy Krueger dreams for sure. Alright, this next one's called... <laughs> I think, I have a feeling you know which one I pulled. Joe Biden's Bizarre Adventure. I don't tell this story to swing any elections, but fictional Joe Biden's gonna do what he's gonna do and we're all just gonna have to live with it Joe Biden was uh, reaching the tail end of his virtual Q&A with CNN. It was a run-of-the-mill campaign interview, except during a time in September of 2020 when everything seemed fucked and people weren't really too invested in the election. But honestly, if the election is the worst of their problems, I kind of envy them. Because in 2020, there was plenty of other shit going on besides one presidential, one presidential election. But having said that, you know, Biden was doing his grind, you know. He said in an interview once, several years ago, that he was worried if he was able to 
give his 100% if he did run for president. And thought it was perhaps better for someone else to take the mantle. But then apparently he thought, well, someone's got to take Trump out of office. And that stirred a motivation for him. But it didn't take anyone with a quick wit to detect his lethargy as he ran for president. You could definitely see it in his interviews. Some people cited old age. Some people cited lack of motivation. Whatever it was, running for president of the United States is a grind for anyone. So after his CNN interview, he was doing it on the road as he was touring, doing rallies and whatnot, meeting people in different towns and all that jazz. So as the when the interview wrapped up, his team went up to him and he's just like, oh, bye, and you need anything, you know, water, whatever. And he's just like, no, no, I'm good. I just need to rest a little bit. And they're just like, yeah, sure, that's fine. He was reminded of a documentary. Uh, the documentary Primary, I believe it's called, where JFK was doing his primary. And there's footage of JFK just, like, chilling out on a couch, smoking a cigar. Two sequences at the same evening. He was pacing around, smoking a cigar. And then also just sitting on the couch, just totally beat. And then when someone walks in to talk to him, JFK just, like, snaps up into presidential mode. That's what Joe Biden thought of in moments like these. And also watching Obama work as well. Though you need a stature, of course, to be VP, but... Also, Biden was a man who really honored the seat of the presidency. Which probably made, made him unlike a lot of people in the country that he was running in. So, uh, Biden was sitting in his tour bus, you know, and just kind of just pretty beat, you know, trying to relax, trying to get energy for the next thing later in that day. He had a rally prepped. And then someone on his team walked in, unintentionally quoting Jimi Hendrix saying, hey, Joe, uh, you need anything? And Joe's just like, um, no, no. Actually, you know, I can do it myself. It's fine. So the team member walks out. So Joe Biden goes into his mini-fridge and starts making a sandwich. Takes out the meat, the cheese, the lettuce, some slices of tomatoes, some mustard, Dijon specifically. And the bread he pulled out was 100% whole wheat goodness. Now, Joe Biden has never had this bread before. 
But when he made that sandwich, he had that bread, and he was just like, oh, goddamn, that's pretty fucking good bread. So he ate the sandwich, had some chips also. And he was just like, oh, shit, that was fucking awesome. his uh, tour bus, he talks to one of his team members, and he's just like, hey, uh, the rally's gonna start later today, later tonight, but just tell everyone that I'm gonna, like, take a nap for, like, an hour. And they're just like, alright, you got it, we'll keep the van unattended. And fine, it's just like, great, thank you. So, that's what Biden does. He just lulls himself to sleep. And then takes that nap. And the dream starts off. He's in a... He's somewhere in the United States. But he's walking around these woods. Not fully knowing what they are. It was a kind of wanderlust kind of dream. Or that's how it started. Like, really, like, Emerson-esque, just like, huh, nature and whatnot. He had the smells of autumn, smells of pine, smells of summer, spring, all in one forest walk. Even though, in waking life, the leaves are already starting to turn, but in this dream, they're all luscious green. So he gets out of the woods and enters a town that he felt like he's been to before, but didn't quite recognize. If he's been there, he was probably doing politician things, but he wouldn't recognize it unless there was like a sign or something, or a landmark that he remembered. When you go on tour like any politician, a lot of towns and cities blend together. As much as he tried to commit these towns to memory. So he's walking and goes onto a bridge. Now in the dream, Joe Biden is wearing uh, his presidential suit, you know, a nice shade of blue and a slick black tie. Except on the bridge, he sees a man in a similar suit, just as presidential, except it's a pale gray and it's certainly an older man. And he's standing on the bridge, looking out, against, looking out at the river. And Biden doesn't know why, but he approaches the man. And that man ends up being Bernie Sanders. And then Biden says, oh, shit, Bernie Sanders. And Dream Bernie Sanders says, hello, Joe Biden. And Biden's just like, uh, what's, how's it hanging? Biden didn't really know uh, Bernie Sanders too well. Whatever capacity he knew him, this storyteller doesn't know. But in this dream, he approaches him as, a, as an acquaintance. Just like, oh, Bernie, you look very forlorn. And the Bernie says, yeah, you've been very fortunate, Joe, that you won the primary after running one time. 
Vine's just like, uh, I don't, I don't understand. What are you, what is this? What are you doing here? And then Bernie says, this is White River, White River Junction, Vermont. State I represent, and the state when I was mayor in. This is like your Delaware, Joe. And Joe's just like, yeah, I guess so. And Vine's just like, huh, I guess we're both from small states, right? And Bernie's just like, sure, Joe, sure. And then they're both staring out at the river together. It's like Bernie's expecting Joe to say something. Joe just is at a loss for words of what to say. He's still in presidential moon, even in this abstract dream, you know, thinking about what he's going to say at the debates and all that jazz. And then Bernie said, without looking at Joe, I know how you can win the election. Joe looks over, and he's just like, what? And Bernie's just like, that's right. You're going to have to make some deals, but there's a way for you to win this. And Joe's just like, well, any input you have, I'm definitely ready to receive it. And then Bernie said, seek the gnome of the forest. He'll guide the way. And then Joe Biden's just like a gnome. And Bernie's just like, yes. But not just any gnome. Go back the way you came, but then go further. And then Joe Biden says, all right. I guess I'll go. walking and Bernie says I truly wish you luck in the campaign and then Bernie walks walks the other direction on the other side of the bridge and then Bine was grateful for the blessing but also he was just like you know I kind of ripped off his ad campaign about opening as just like hey I have a small favor to ask you you know but Joe Bine feeling tired just kept walking into the woods got darker as he walked on more luminescent as well the mushrooms glowed and everything became more mystical and then lo and behold Joe Biden saw to his disbelief a gnome and then Joe Biden said are you the gnome that Bernie Sanders was talking about and then Gnome just said, oh, yeah. And Joe Biden said, well, Bernie Sanders said I should listen to you. And then a Gnome said, oh, yes, you, you really should do that. And Joe Biden said, well, he told me that you can help me out with the campaign. Surely you have some advice in this matter. 
Please tell me how I can win this campaign. And then the gnome just took a long breath and said, oh, Well, the uh, Democratic establishment at this point uh, has been deteriorating uh, since Trump took office. Uh, not on any forceful nature of the Republican Party, but uh, the Democratic uh, establishment hasn't taken any the same types of means in building a fan base uh, that Trump and the Republicans have done, or even for Bernie Sanders as at that rate, uh, both of his campaigns, especially his first one, was a grassroots effort uh, fueled by smaller donations, and uh, uh, to better yet, that made him uh, a representation of the voice of the people for someone of his background could possibly achieve. Uh, meanwhile, uh, for people like uh, you and Kamala Harris are really uh, representations of the democratic establishment, uh, a stale one at that, uh, not uh, representing any sort of populist drive that's really taken the country by storm in the form of protests and uh, all that jazz. And, uh, People are deterred by electing you because uh, you represent of more of the same, uh, the type of same that uh, caused Hillary to lose the election, and uh, the kind of same that uh, both Bernie Sanders and, unfortunately, the Trump uh, administration also tried to fight against. Uh, so now you're stuck in this point where you have to fight against a, a growing fascist regime. Uh, with the same stale talking points that you've possibly been saying for the past uh, 10 years. And those types of strategies will not uh, fly in this current uh, political climate. Joe Biden thought about it and he was just like, uh, that kind of sound like a dance party there. And the gnome said, no, but not quite here. And then Joe Biden thought about what uh, the gnome said, and he was just like, but that's why I invited Kamala Harris onto my ticket, you know? To bring a progressive voice into the office. And Noam Chomsky just said, no. I mean, the gnome, not any specific form of Chomsky, <laughs> but just a gnome that just sounds like Noam Chomsky. It was just like, oh, well, if that's the case, and perhaps you are already uh, lost. And in that moment, Joe Biden wakes up in a daze with a bit of drool on his lip. And then someone on his team is trying to wake him up like, Joe, it's time to, we got to head to the venue for the rally. We got to prepare and stuff. And Joe's just like, oh, um, yeah, sure. And he's, he, and as he was prepping for the rally, he had his prepared speeches and also a Q&A segment at the end of the rally. And he was just like, all right, I really got to think about that dream and really take it in stride. You know, if I heed the advice of that dream, perhaps that'll really help me not only win the election, but also make the country better. So Joe Biden did his rally, but then when the Q&A &A section started, uh, they asked a lot of questions about BLM, and the gnome didn't really prepare him for that. 
Yes, that is a statement on Noam Chomsky. Very fond of him, but he, I'm, you know, he didn't even talk about civil rights while it was happening. Like, I don't know, whatever. It's not a political show, but still. I liked Joe Biden going through a mystical forest, speaking to a gnome. Sounds like Noam Chomsky. You know, whatever. I don't know. We're, I don't know what to think of this election. Just, for the sake of storytelling, bleh. Alright, this next story is called Fruit Fly Fascists. Teresa thought there was something off about these fruit flies. Every year she has to deal with them to some capacity. She does what she can. She uh, never keeps food in the house when it's not being used or being stored. These fruit flies were swarming her house at a far above average rate. <clears throat> Even got to the point where she was setting up traps and stuff. these fruit flies are coming from. Seeing the rate of them coming in has been multiplied by three or four. So she was looking around her house to see if she left any stray food somewhere, anything like that. She checked her bedroom underneath her bed or by her nightstand, on her nightstand. Check the bathroom in case any of her bathtub snacking kind of, you know, she left anything behind. Check the couch cushions in case she stored something somewhere without realizing it, or someone else did. But then she opens, opens a cabinet with a squeaky door that doesn't close all the way. And when she opens it, she sees what it is. 
It's a package of bread that she's never eaten before. Called 100% whole wheat goodness. But the seal was torn open. And it was covered in bugs. A lot of fruit flies and ants. Yellow jackets. All swarming the inside, nibbling on it. She was just like, oh fuck, how long has it been like this? Actually started to make her freak out a little bit. She was getting a little bit squeamish. So she puts on a glove and then grabs the package of the bread and then tosses it in the uh, trash can outside of her house. And then closes the lid that doesn't quite close all the way. So in her house, in her cabinet, she's just, uh, trying to kill as many bugs as she could. Some of the fruit flies get away. Some other bugs as well. Flying around, crawling about. She gets some spray and exterminates as much as she can. And then viciously cleans the cabinet area where the bread was. Where all the bugs swarmed. She's able to rest a little bit easier that night. There are a lot less bugs in the house now. But when she would check on the uh, trash can and the bread, it wasn't quite garbage day yet. But she would see so many bugs swarm that piece of swarm that piece of bread. Can understand it. All these bugs are really into this bread. So without thinking too much about it, she just, you know, goes to sleep. All of a sudden she hears a lamp break and it freaks her out. It's a lot easier to rile, rile, rile herself out of, bed, out of bed, especially in these trying times. So she rushes to the living room and sees the lamb knocked over, but doesn't see what knocked it over. She doesn't live with anyone, doesn't have any pets. She thinks, oh, that's the strangest thing. So she tries to sleep again. And this time she hears the most vicious buzzing that she's ever heard. Now she heads to her windows and 
a very sealant door. But she felt like all the buzzing was coming from both outside of her door and outside of her window. At first, the, she thinks it's some hallucinogenic dream of some sort. But she cautious, cautiously walks toward the window and then undoes the curtains and she sees it for herself. Countless fruit flies all stampeding themselves like kamikazes at her storm window. The relentless buzzing was driving her mad. And her instinct was to flee and leave her room. But then she pressed her hand on her door. Not only was the same buzzing sound coming from the other side, but it was also vibrating. flies. They're goddamn over the, all over the place. So she doesn't know what to do. She wants to call for help in some way. But she thought her best bet was to escape. So she goes into her closet to see what she could find to help defend herself with. And to her good fortune that she had a can of bug spray she had back when she was camping two years ago. She didn't know if the bug, the camping bug spray expired or not. But perhaps poison never expires. So she puts on some outdoor clothes, uh, a jacket she already had in her room. She takes a deep breath, and then rushes out of her bedroom, spraying all the flies. She wouldn't be able to see her hand if she stuck her hand in front of her. It was just like a dense air of flies. She could vaguely see the contours of her living room and her hallway. She tried to maneuver the best she could. But she kept running into walls while all these flies were swarming her. Getting into her orifices like her mouth and her eyes and her nose. And eventually all the flies swarming her ends up suffocating her. And then she just passes out. She wakes up sometime later to the sound of buzzing, the same vicious buzzing that she heard when she was knocked out.
is restrained on the ground. Tied up by duct tape and rope. Not tied by human hands, but at a very distinct precision that perhaps humans are not capable of. So she's shouting at the swarm of fruit flies. She's just like, what do you want? What do you want? And then, in a voice in unison, they're all speaking at the same time. They all just shout, we need bread. Give us bread. And she's just like, bread, I don't understand said the bread in your cabinet give us more and she's just like oh I, I don't have any I ran out I don't I don't have any more and then the voice shouted get more and then Teresa said all right if I get you bread will you leave my house Fruitfly said, yes, we will. And Teresa's like, all right then. So the flies let her up. And she's putting on her jacket. She puts on a windbreaker. And then a bunch of flies fly beneath her windbreaker against her arms, back and chest and stomach. And then the voice says, to be sure. And Teresa just said, okay, shit, fine. So Teresa uh, leaves her house, gets in her car, starts it. And when she puts her hand on the steering, steering wheel, it really dawns on her, feeling all the insects on her arms and her torso, back and stomach, crawling all about. And then they all say in unison, don't think, drive. And Teresa complies. Now as she's driving, she's trying to think of a way. How can I thwart these bugs? But then the other part of her is just like, it might be, might be better to just go along with it. If I get them what they need, I'll leave them be. a 10 minute drive to the new seasons that she's driving to and she's just like why do you need this bread you know and the fruit flies say in unison without missing a beat enlightenment the bread makes our dreams come true and Teresa's just like okay um, shit well I guess I'll help out with that So she drives up to the new seasons. It's only 
open for another 20 minutes, so she made it just in time. Luckily, she goes to bed early. She walks in, fidgeting with her windbreaker. She keeps rubbing it like it's really uncomfortable to wear, but it's actually uncomfortable to have a bunch of... to have hundreds of fruit flies crawling all along your arms and torso. So she tries to walk around as if she doesn't have a bunch of bugs crawling on her. She gives smiles at people, says hello to strangers. And as she walks into the bread aisle, she sees it right next to Dave's Killer Bread. 100% whole wheat, goodness. And then she says out loud, All right, I found it. 100% whole wheat goodness. And the flies underneath her windbreaker say, Yes, yes, good. Bye. Yes. Now as she gets the bread and heads to the cash register, the fruit flies are exuberant. They keep ch chanting very quietly, Yes. Good. Bye. Yes. Bread. Good bread. And then Teresa's just like, Oh, fuck. But then she thinks, Wait. If the fruit flies give themselves away, then that'll give me a chance to escape with them. But in case that doesn't happen, then the fruit flies can also take over the supermarket and have all the 100% whole wheat goodness that they can have. And then Teresa's just like, fuck. So she goes to the cashier, and the cashier, feeling pretty tired, but still, you know, in a good mood. This particular cashier is also good with customer service and just generally good with people. She was, she's capable about she's capable of having engage, having an engaging conversation, despite how tired she is or anything like that. So as she's uh, scanning the bread package, she's just like, oh, just the bread tonight. And then Teresa says, I need your help. And the cashier's just like, oh, uh, yeah, sure, with what? And Teresa said, there are bugs crawling all over me. And then the cashier says, okay, um, yeah, bugs are a real pain in the ass this time of year. And Teresa said, no. They're after the bread. What is it about this bread? I don't know. This is my, uh, this is my first week here, you know. I don't really eat any of the food here. Um, I did hear a rumor that this bread is cursed. That, uh materializes dreams in like a Freddy Krueger style, but whatever, it's just bread. And Teresa just said, they're after the bread, please help me. 
cashier said, okay, okay. Well, the bread's gonna be a five nineteen if you want it. And Teresa didn't know what else to do besides buy the bread. And she can hear whispers all over her skin. Yes, good. Goodbye. Buy good bread. Yes. As Teresa was making the purchase, she deduced that the flies, perhaps, ate this bread and materialized their dreams of becoming more organized, akin to fascists, apparently, and to be able to take over the actions of humans, if not humanity in general, you know. So the woman slides the bread, and she's just like, you don't want a bag for this, do you? And then Teresa's just like, oh, I, don't, I don't think so. So Teresa uh, leaves the store, thinking, fuck, I shouldn't have done. I haven't done anything that I could have done to escape in there. Fuck. So she walks through her car feeling the bugs crawl on her still. And as she's driving, she hears the bugs on her skin. Yes, goodbye. Good bread. Good, yes. And then Teresa says, hey, do you want some of this bread now? You know, since you went off to get it for yourself, you don't need to give it to the rest of the flies, really, do you? Flies just said, we give to the mass, we give to the core, we give to the populist, we give to the entreases, like, alright, I get it. Teresa pulls up in front of her house. She can even see all the fruit flies flying around in her window. And she's just like, oh fuck, what am I gonna do? So she gets out of her car, and she's holding the bread. And she can hear the flies in her body say, yes, good, very good, good bread. And then Teresa stops walking, and then she holds up the bread really high, and she shouts to the flies in her house. If you want it, come get it. She can hear a very angry buzzing come from her house very angry, buzzing, buzzing, vibrate on her skin, but she stands and holds the bread up high. She doesn't, she doesn't know what kind of leverage she has, but as long as the bread's outside of her house, if she can throw it far enough, maybe the flies will go after it, and then, make she, and then she can make a break for it, and then she can just seal her house and figure something out from there. She's never been equipped to counteract fascist flu fruit flies, so she was at a loss on what to do. 
so the angry buzzing continues. And then the sensations of crawling on her skin start to act up. She starts to feel it down in her legs as well. They're crawling all over her body, looking for an opening of some sort. All of a sudden, she can feel the fruit flies put pressure on her skin and then move her body, pushing it forward. And it forces her to take a step. With the other leg, she feels the same type of pressure. And then she takes another step. And it gets to the point where the fruit flies are forcing her to walk involuntarily. She tries to struggle and tries to counteract the fruit flies pressure. Eventually she falls forward, thinking that would be enough. But then the fruit flies crawling underneath her skin are first forcing her limbs to crawl. She crawls ever slightly forward with her stomach and chest on the ground, using her arms and legs to inch her body forward further and further. Still gripping the 100% whole weed goodness. she makes it to the entrance of her house and all the flies are celebrating before she even makes it in thinking ah yes good bread goodbye enlightenment dreams coming true and as and more fruit flies depend descend upon her and then push her even faster into the house she can pull from this is just not to trust fruit fly fascists or really to trust fascists in general all right this final story is called lighters disappear like ninjas Barry wasn't the type of person to snack before bed. But sometimes he couldn't help himself. On this particular night, he made himself a sandwich. And Barry made himself some premier sandwiches. He went to butcher shops and delis to get very specific meat 
specialty prosciutto, salami, and all that jazz. He didn't even like eating chicken or turkey, unless he carved it himself. He's occasionally volunteered at farms to do some chicken and turkey dispatching, and then purchase some of the meat, so he knew where the meat came from. But yes, Barry was a, a sandwich connoisseur when it came to sandwiches like he made. So when he made these sandwiches, he would get some specialty rolls. Just so it could remind him as remind him of different sandwiches he would get over on the East Coast. But due to the constraints of the pandemic, it's getting harder to order foods and have it be fresh by the time it arrived at his house. So what he ended up doing in a desperate move was that he ordered, or purchased in a store, 100% whole wheat goodness. It looked like a standard type of 100% whole wheat bread, you know, nothing really to shake a stick at, stick at by his judgment. But he ended up eating a sandwich using this kind of bread the same specialty meats that he always went for. So he was having a bite and munching on it. And he was just like, alright, this bread's not bad. Pretty good sandwich, you know. So he was just like in his bed, uh, watching anime or whatever. He didn't change his pants into his pajamas yet, but when he was emptying his pockets of his wallet and his phone and notebook and all that, but he pulls out a lighter, and he's just like, oh fuck. You see, it wasn't a lighter that he purchased. It wasn't his lighter, per se. He was, he was with some friends uh, smoking a bowl and he ended up pocketing the lighter he was just like oh fuck I didn't yeah I didn't mean to steal this shit he had a bad habit of pocketing lighters but wherever he was lighters disappeared like ninjas So he tossed the lighter on the nightstand and decided not to think about it. Took off his pants and just slept in his underwear. And munched on that sandwich. On that 100% whole wheat goodness. And then he dozed off. 
you would probably credit it to his guilt for stealing lighters. But he had a dream that he was a ninja. And he was breaking into people's houses, stealing lighters. People he knew, people he didn't know. The only condition of stealing these lighters was that he only stole lighters if people didn't notice. So if he was creeping up on a house party and then saw someone saw him try to snag a lighter, he would disappear into the shadows. every time someone called him with a lighter, he would learn from it. He was just like, okay, I won't do that. Maybe I'll be more sneaky in this way. Hiding outside of people's peripheral views. Blending with dark spots of rooms. So that people wouldn't notice him coming. And people wouldn't notice him take these lighters. It wasn't just houses, it was also corporate offices. Houses of all types of income levels. Whether it was low-income housing or absurd mansions, there was a prized childhood lighter that someone wealthy kept in a safe. He would crack that safe and steal that lighter for himself. Barry was having a ball, stealing all these lighters. But then he woke up and the dream ended. He felt like he had a headache. Felt very confused. He didn't it felt like he was hungover and he didn't quite understand why. He just thought, oh, what what did I do? Was it was it that sandwich? Oh, I knew that bread was shit. But he kept rubbing in his rubbing his eyes, rubbing his cheeks, trying to get a grip on himself. Get, trying to get a grip on himself. But then when he undid his comforter. On his bed were covered with countless lighters. He could count them if he wanted to, but he chose not to. Lighters of different varieties. Zippo lighters, Bic lighters, even some matches. Now his first thought was, Oh no, my lighter stealing couldn't be this bad. And I thought, no, wait, it's, it was the dream. I had a dream that I was a ninja stealing all these lighters. But that dream must have happened. He looked around at the lighters, and some of them he recognized from the dream. Even 
like this one anarchist A Zippo lighter, and he's just like, oh fuck. I did take all these lighters. And he thought about it, and he was just like, okay, okay, well, to my knowledge, no one's ever been arrested for stealing lighters, you know? So I should be in the clear to some regard. But he just went through his day thinking about it, just like, oh fuck, what am I gonna do with all these lighters? He had hundreds, and he didn't even know how to sort them. So, when he went to bed that night, he had a sandwich with 100% whole wheat goodness. And he was just like, alright, I don't know. That lighter thing was a fluke. Surely it won't happen again. But in that dream that night, as he was sleeping, he dreamed that he was, again, a ninja. But not just any ninja. He didn't know, he didn't quite understand the ninja lore in his dream. But he knew he was some sort of upgraded version of a ninja. didn't just steal lighters in this dream. He stole anything that can start fire. He stole lighter fluid, homemade pipe bombs, dynamite for construction projects, anything that was explosive or could set ablaze, on a small scale at least. That's what Barry went for. And he apparently learned from his mistakes of getting caught with lighters in the previous dream, because no one ever detected his presence when he was taking these massive explosives. So when he wakes up, what happens? He sees all along his room, all the explosives and lighting agents that he stole, half-empty canisters of lighting lighter fluid, dynamite, pipe bombs, and again, also some matches, just for good measure. He was just like, oh fuck, I don't want to be, I don't want to be caught with this thing. So he went through his day, went to work, just freaking out, just like, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm like a hardcore ninja klepto at night, I'm, I'm fucked, shit. It's a shame Barry didn't think about how to modify his habits before he slept. Because on this third night, he did the same thing he did on the other two nights. He made a sandwich, and he made it with 100% whole wheat goodness. The bread that makes dreams come to life. So he goes to sleep, and again, he feels like he's an upgraded version of a ninja of some sort. But like the highest caliber that his lore of ninja could achieve. And this time he was breaking into 
military bases all around the world. Stealing weapons. Stealing nuclear missiles. All of the out-of-date, anachronistic uh, nuclear bombs that the U.S. and the Russians built in case they had to blow up each other that didn't that weren't put to any use. Barry even sold those too. In those mysterious warehouses or underground facilities or wherever they're stored. He sold them with dexterity and with ease. He actually thought it was easier than the lighters. Perhaps it was because he was so skilled at theft at this point. Or just because people didn't guard those bombs in the same way people guarded their own lighters. So Barry wakes up and, as you can predict, his entire house is full of bombs. All various types of nuclear, nuclear bombs that he stole from various military bases and facilities from various countries around the world all in a single night. He's like the Santa Claus of stealing military technology. And he just thought, oh fuck, what am I gonna do? Barry was just like freaking out. He was panicking. He's just like, shit, I gotta, I gotta get the fuck out of here. There's too much. There are all these explosives. Maybe I can, like, make a call or something. Fuck. So what he does, he puts on some clothes and does a little bit of packing. Just a, a thick suitcase full of the essentials and some clothes for various days of a week or whatever. Loads it in his car and just drives off. As fast as he can, going like 80 miles per, per hour or whatever. Really trying not to get far away from these explosives. Because at that point, it wasn't just a matter of theft of property. It was dangerous to have to be that close to all that material. So he drives for a few hours. Ends up at the edge of his region, or a different region practically. So he gets out of his car and then goes to a payphone. Makes a call to his local city hall. He's just like, hey, can I help you with something? And he's just like, um, yeah, I gotta, gotta, I gotta just say something. I thought I'd tell you about it, uh, since maybe you have jur jurisdiction or whatever. So I don't know how it happened, but there's a shitload of bombs in my house. And the secretary on the other end is just like, what do you mean bombs? And the bearer says, well, again, I don't know how, to, how it happened, but I just wake up. Alright, first night I woke up with a bunch of lighters in my bed, and I was like, alright, no big deal. And then I wake up, then 
on the second night I wake up with just a bunch of like lighting agents, fire chemicals, all in my room, and I'm just like, oh, it's a little bit weirder. But down on the third night, it's just, there's a bunch of nuclear bombs in my house, and then Barry gave his address, and he was just like, you gotta, you gotta take care of it, you gotta bring a team, military, whatever you gotta do, and just dispose of it, you know, do it safely, it's just, you know, but yeah, I won't feel safe until I get back, I don't know how it happened, but just please take care of it, and check it out. And the secretary's all right, I'll make some calls. And then Barry's put on hold for a bit. And the secretary's just like, oh, so you don't have any idea where these bombs came from? And then Barry's just said, oh, look, no, I don't. Look, just please take care of it. Like, I don't want anyone to be in danger or anything. And then he heard a loud boom from a very far distance. Barry looks over from the direction where he was driving and just sees a large explosion, explosion cloud. A large uh, explosion cloud. Like a mushroom cloud. And Barry just watches it from the far distance he's at. And then the phone hangs up on the other line. Barry just stands up straight and then just watches the explosion. He lets the phone hang off the payphone. He watches it and then he could feel feel the sonic boom of the air of the explosion. And it almost knocks him down. And he takes a few seconds to be bewildered by the explosion. But then he just thinks, I gotta I gotta keep driving. He heads to his car, thinking everyone in his town and his region, the area that he lived, are probably dead from the explosion, from all the bombs in his house. So as he gets in his car, he looks for his car keys in his pocket, and then feels a lighter. Well, that was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Caresi. Good night.